everyone, and welcome back to the Redbeard Outdoors podcast. I'm Jonathan, your host, and here at Redbeard Outdoors, I talk about faith, family, fitness, and the outdoors. I share wonderful conversations with you, like today being Saturday for the Saturday sit-down edition of the podcast, and then on Tuesdays, I've got Tinkering Tuesdays where we share gear reviews, stories, mindset, etc., something that you can take and tinker with in your own life, whether that be metaphorically or physically with gear. With that being said, today I've got an amazing guest for you guys. Uh, You might know him as Hunter Hubs on Instagram, on social media. He does some amazing work with a camera. I really like what he does uh, with his shooting. He actually shoots well. He doesn't just take pictures and videos for fun, but he actually does a good job. He loves to hunt. He's involved with many things such as Hunt Wars and other companies, provides content for them, and just absolutely loves this. And that's something that he does on the side. He has a main nine to five that I highly respect and uh, absolutely appreciate the job that he does in his nine to five. And it was just a blast to have him on the podcast. I really appreciate his time. Before we get into this conversation, guys, I do want to personally invite you to come join us on the Day One Crew over on Facebook. If you have a Facebook, we're all about having that day one mentality, whatever your journey is, whether it's your some adventure you're going on, a new career, school, nutrition, health, fitness, etc. Whatever your goals are, the idea is to have that day one passion continue all the way through your accomplishment. So you fall in love with the journey and not just the destination. I want you to come over to the group. If you don't have a Facebook, that's perfectly fine. Shoot me an email down below in the description box is my email. Love to have you in on the weekly calls that we do. As of right now, it's every Tuesday, uh, but we do have a weekly call. I'd love to have you in on. Also, the other group I'd love to see you in is the First Form Outdoors group on Facebook. Again, if you don't have a Facebook, send me an email. I'll get you in on the weekly calls. Another outstanding group of individuals that just wants to see you get better. Genuinely get better in your life. It's hard to find groups like that that don't get jealous or upset because of your successes. And that's what we strive for in both of those groups. So would love to have you over there. Also, if you're watching this on YouTube, subscribe to the channel, leave a like and a comment. I really appreciate that. And if you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever it is that you're listening, leave a review. Even if it's one word, it helps way more than you can even know. Really appreciate it. And last but not least, If you want to support the show monetarily, check out the description down below. All of these companies that I get to have the pleasure of working with, top-notch companies, provide you gear at a discounted price so that you can support the show. You can support these companies that I choose to represent because I absolutely love their gear and the people behind it in the company itself. All of that being said, guys, thanks so much for tuning in. Let's continue to grow the show, and now let's get into the conversation with Joshua Hubs. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Redbeard Outdoors podcast. I've got an outstanding guest for you guys today. Really stoked to be talking with Joshua Hubs. He is a guy that just loves photography. He really is outstanding at it. I love people that have skills with photography, and I love bringing people on that way because you know what you're doing. Uh, but he's a freelance photographer on the side and works with Homeland Security for his nine to five. Uh, and so I just want to bring Joshua on here just to talk a little bit about 
things that he loves with, again, photography, how he's got an eye for it, how he can capture things. He loves archery. He loves hunting, loves shooting his bow and just all the things that I'm, I really enjoy. So, uh, with that being said, Joshua, who are you for people that don't know who you are? So I'm Joshua hubs. Uh, I love videography and photography and I'm a diehard archer to be hundred percent honest with you. Uh, I picked up archery about 11 years ago and I haven't touched a rifle since then. Actually, this will be the first year that I actually have a rifle tag. But other than that, it's been what, 10 years that I haven't touched a rifle. So bow and videography and photography have been pretty much my go-to since then. Oh, that's amazing. And yeah, you've got a pretty sweet rifle set up there. It's a Christensen Arms, right? Yes, sir. It's a Christensen Arms uh, Ridgeline FFT. Mm. It's the 7mm PRC. It's a tack. Oh, man. Yeah, that 7mm PRC definitely has caught my eye. (laughs) I I personally haven't uh, upgraded my rifles in a while um, because I, you know, I think the last four or five years I've dove into archery. And so that's where all my funds are going, upgrading yeah. all my gear and stuff. So I, but I'm, I'm kind of jealous that things, uh, it's, it's beautiful. Not only I'm sure it shoots amazing because I've got some buddies that have Christensen arms and uh, they, they are tack drivers, but um, that 7mm PRC is just, it's kind of a new caliber, isn't it? When did that one come out? I believe it came out last year. I think Hornady was the first one to create that round. And, uh, yeah, I'm super stoked because I've got some buddies who've got uh, rifle elk tags, and they, they're like, hey, if you don't mind, we'd love to test that round. I'm like, yeah, the more feedback I get on it would be awesome. So excited to put it through the ringer this year. That's awesome. That's really cool. So with that being said, what got you into um, – because obviously there's a big difference between photography and Homeland Security. So what got you into photography uh, to start with? Yeah, so um, when I started out with it, I, you know, I was running around in the mountains and bow hunting by myself. And I'd come back down from the mountains and I'd tell my parents these crazy stories and all my buddies these crazy stories. And they're like, oh, yeah, like, sure, you got that close to an elk and sure you saw this, you know. And so <laughs> I was like, you know what? I started running around with my phone. And uh, from there, I just kind of slowly upgraded from my phone to a DSLR and started running the videos and the photography. And to be honest, I just kind of like was self-taught there for a little bit. I had no idea about the rule of thirds and all this other framing and stuff. I just was like, oh, this is cool and this is cool. And once I started taking the photos and people started like liking the photos and saying, hey, you know, you should try this. Then, uh, then I kind of progressed from there into being more proficient with the camera and everything else. Oh, that's awesome. So basically it started because uh, people were saying that there's no way you did this. <laughs> yeah. Nobody believed me. I'd get close to stuff and be like, Oh, you didn't see that. Or sure. It was a seven point. And I'm like, no, I'm serious. You know, mm-hmm. that's awesome. That's, that, that's really cool. And uh, so, and did that start along with archery or was that a little bit before archery? So yeah, my photography side started a little bit before archery. I would say that was probably about, probably 13 years ago, 14 years ago, I started doing that. And then uh, as soon as I picked up a bow, that's when I went from like a phone to a DSLR. And I would say it started progressing from there because I was just out in the woods more scouting, putting in more time and hunting by myself. Yeah, no, that's really cool. Um, So with with that being said, you know, you got into uh, photography with your phone, you upgraded your camera, you learned some stuff, kind of got self-taught. Have you taken any courses since then? Honestly, no. Everything I've done is a little bit of YouTube videos here and there, like tutorials where I'm trying, like, if I want to figure out, like, how to tweak something or change something when it comes to editing or uh, 
when it comes to my style of photography, honestly, I have people I follow on Instagram and it's like, oh, I really like how they frame this shot and I keep mm. it in the back of my mind and I'll tweak it a little bit to put my own little spin on it. But that's kind of where some of like the ideas come off of. I mean, our community is pretty big on Instagram, so we always bounce in ideas off of each other and you'll see photos. You're like, oh, I, I've seen a photo like that, but you know, somebody else put their own spin on it. So it's even, it's even cooler. Yeah. No, exactly. I, I agree with that. It's uh, it's kind of a big community uh, for sure. And something that, you know, we can all learn from. Uh, and, and there's a lot of things that are going on, you know, whether it be on social media or uh, do you have other than your Instagram page, do you have a, a blog or anything else that you that you do along with the photography? Honestly, no, I haven't started anything yet. But I've been thinking about starting like a little blog or a podcast even but I just with the nine to five, things are a little tight already as is. So I kind of keep it just to Instagram. Yeah, no, I hear that for sure. And, uh, you know, how do you get your freelance photography out there? Like, do you just use Instagram as promotions or is it more word of mouth? Uh, what do you do to, to kind of spark up interest in that? Yeah. So to be honest with you, it's uh, a lot of Instagram. I use Instagram as more of a networking tool because there's a lot of people on there. And, uh, in, I would say in this industry, it's, it's what you know. I mean, you got to be pretty decent at what you do to be able to progress through the industry, but it's also who you know to be able to get those opportunities to be able to progress. So I'll use Instagram, make connections that way, and from there, um, kind of get little odd and in jobs, learn from there, and then people get to see my work, and then from there, it's kind of just word of mouth. Yeah, no, for sure. And I would agree. There's a lot of who you know uh, in, in the, yeah. whether it be archery or photography or outdoors, in, in general, it's definitely a lot of who, you know, um, so with, with that, uh, you know, you got into photography, then what drew you to archery hunting over any other style of hunting? This is a good one. So, uh, my dad, you know, he introduced me to hunting a long, a long time ago. Like I was in a backpack with him going in the woods when I was little. And, uh, when I started hunting, he was a rifle hunter and he got into the long range game and we started you know taking shots you know 800 yards and i was like oh this is fun but we're in in oregon with glass clear cuts you know you'd spot an animal and shoot the animal and then it was just walk to the animal it was kind of over and done with um and i seen all these hunts on the outdoor channel i'm like you know i want to i want to pick up a bow i want to i want this challenge of getting close and so kind of just flipping the scale instead of doing the long range game and see how far I could go and shoot. I just like, I want to see how close I can get. And, uh, that kind of flipped the table for me. I picked up, uh, a bow. Honestly, my first bow was a bow tech in uh, Eugene, Oregon. And I met, uh, Henry Bass, who's a professional shooter. And he kind of, he's like, Hey, you know, nothing about it here. I'll teach you stuff. And he kind of taught me. And from there I dove right into it head first. So Henry Bass, um, I, I've heard the name before, and I'm sure his, his name's known, but I, I personally don't know him. Um, how did you end up in Oregon to get a bow when you're down in Arizona? So I, uh, I, I lived in Oregon for nine, about nine to ten years, I think I was in Oregon. Um, and my time there, I ended up making a connection there at, the, at Bowtech, which was Henry, and later it was Mike Harrington. Uh, and those kind of those two just sparked my interest. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to go to there. Started talking to them at uh, Bowtech. And from there, it just, they, they, they kind of 
were my fuel to my spark. Uh, once, once I got that, they just were super helpful in pushing me towards it and getting me the connections I needed to keep progressing through there. Oh, that's really cool. And that's awesome. Uh, I know there's a lot of good people up in Oregon, especially in the Eugene area that know their stuff when it comes to archery. Uh, so you got linked up with the Bowtech guys. Um, you started shooting a Bowtech. Um, you know, what was your kind of main purpose with getting behind a bow? Uh, was it for, you were thinking maybe you'd go the target route for fun or hunting? What, what kind of, you know, took you down that path? All right. Pardon the brief interruption here, but I want to bring to you and give a shout out to all the amazing companies that I get to work with on a regular basis. I aim for quality and I want you guys to understand that. I want you to know that the companies that I recommend, it's not due to being paid by these companies or being asked to advertise certain things. I work with companies that I believe in, I use their gear or their nutritional supplementation, and I wanna share that with you. So here we go. Of course, First Form and First Form Outdoors. Guys, come join us over at First Form Outdoors Facebook group. If you don't have Facebook, shoot me an email. I'd love to get you in on the weekly calls. First Form just makes the best supplements on the market. When you're up on the mountain, you definitely want a post-workout shake. When you get off of the mountain while you're making your, your meals, you wanna make sure you have your micronutrients on point when you are hunting. So definitely want you guys to check that out. Check out the link down below. You get free shipping for life when you use the link on any orders over 75 bucks. Also, Alpen Fuel and Heather's Choice. Those are my top two meals in the backcountry whenever I'm out hunting. I love those meals. Clean ingredients, great macros. Make sure you hit your recovery there as well. Black Ovis, best conglomeration of all of the things that have to do with outdoors and hunting from clothing i love their lightweight setups with merino and their pants they've got backpacks glassing and more boots crispy boots that i rock go check them out guys code redbeard10 will save you money and free shipping on anything over 50 dollars. all in digiscoping best digiscoping on the market the bino adapter is coming out very soon go check it out code redbeard to save some money Initial Ascent, best pack backpacks on the market, guys, by far. Go check them out and use code REDBEARD as well. A3 Archery Bowstrings, favorite strings, no stretch, no need to wax them. They're waxless, just awesome, and they hold tension. No loss in poundage. Go check them out, A3 Archery Bowstrings. Cryptek, my go-to camo, but also day-to-day -day wear. They've got some amazing pieces of gear and clothing. Go check out Cryptek, Castro Glassing Systems, Dark Energy, if you guys need that battery, the Poseidon Pro, or even the Poseidon Nano. Go check them out, guys. Use code REDBEARD, save some money. Go Ruck, those McCalls, or those Macalls, are the best shoe for EDC. For me personally, I rock them every single day. Trail running, they are great for rucking. They have some great tread, wider toe box, excellent shoe. Go check out Go Ruck, code REDBEARD10, Sheep Feet Custom Orthotics, My Medic, Canvas Cutter. Guys, that thing is outstanding. Get a cot from Teton Sports, get Canvas Cutter, and you're good to go during hunting season if you're hunting back from the truck. Affect Beard Oil, Muley Freak Bino Harness, the Game Changer, Bow Hunters United, Joy Bees, and of course, the Bow Hitch. Guys, 
Thank you so much for listening in on this. I just want to give a shout out to all the sponsors of the show. If you can't support monetarily, again, go leave a review. I appreciate it. Have an awesome day. And let's get back into the conversation here. All right, we are back. We've had some uh, technical difficulties and some uh, health difficulties. And we had a whole bunch of stuff happen over the last little bit, guys. That's why we're dressed different. We're not wearing the same smelly clothes from yesterday. So, uh, but uh, yeah, so we've got Josh back here. And uh, I had totally spaced the fact that you work with Grizz Media and Hunt Wars and everything like that. So definitely want to dive down that. Uh, that train as well. So you can talk about that for people that don't know about hunt wars and Grizz media, what you guys do, et cetera. Um, but we were talking about elk hunting and uh, just kind of how, you know, majestic these, these beasts are and how they can disappear, how quiet um, they are, et cetera. But uh, you've got a nice elk rack there on the wall behind you. Tell us the story behind that one. Uh, so this one right here is actually my uh, first Arizona mat set that I found, uh, we gave him a 35 inch spread, comes out to be about 360 inch bull. Uh, I was hiking the woods one day. My buddy was like, hey, I'm not feeling good. I'm gonna stay at the house. I was like, all right. And then I got out there and you know, I really wasn't feeling good either. So I was like, I'm just gonna cut this hike short. And I, I walked maybe 200 yards off the road, got into some thick stuff. And I was like, you know what? Forget this, I'm gonna go home. I made it like a U-turn and came back turned around a bush and they were laying side by side. So uh, I colored them back up myself and uh, now they hang on the wall, but yeah. That's awesome. That's pretty sweet, man. So down there in Arizona, uh, you've been there for a couple years now. Have yep. you had the opportunity to hunt elk in Arizona? I have not. No, this will actually okay. be the first year. I personally don't have a tag, but um, my buddy has an archery tag and I have a couple of buddies who have uh, rifle tags. So I'm kind of excited to get out there and just see how it is and how it all plays out out there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so then your, your elk experience was mainly Oregon, Roosevelt's, where have you gone elsewhere? Have you gone to other States and, and hunted elk? Uh, it's going to be Oregon and Idaho. Mostly those are the two States that I've hunted. Um, just because they both have really nice OTC hunts, uh, in Oregon, I started off hunting Roosevelt elk on the coast, and that's a different beast. That was also that was before I picked up a bow, so during rifle season. Um, I've killed a couple bulls with rifles, just never with a bow yet. And yeah, the difference between your coastal rosies and your Rocky Mountains, I'd say like eastern Oregon and even and into Idaho, it, it's a huge difference. The, the size difference of the body of your rosies just dwarfs those Rockies. Uh, immensely really okay yeah. so i guess i've never seen a roosevelt compared to a rocky mountain elk in person so you're saying because their racks don't get as big or Correct. do they i would say that their racks don't get as long you don't have as, mm. these crazy sweeping long main beams but the mass on the rosies is quite a bit different from the rocky mountain elk um and i think that's just because the rosies grow up in a thicker environment so they don't get those long beams, but they get short, stubby ones. Mm. Um, and you, you do, I mean, occasionally, I mean, Cam's killed a couple 300-inch bulls out there because in clear cuts, they, tim, they typically get like a little bit longer main beams on them as they're going in and out of the brush in an older timber. Um, but yeah, the body size of them, I, I mean, the comparison, they're like, like a half size. Like if you took a Rocky Mountain elk and just expanded him in all directions, I would say that would equate to about a rosy. Wow. That's crazy. I don't, I don't, I guess I don't know why I've never put those two together, but, um, 
why do you think that is? Is there a reason behind that? I, I didn't realize it was that drastic of a difference in size. Yeah, as far as body goes, uh, to be honest, I'm not sure. Uh, maybe it has to do with the abundance of food in year round that they have in the location. It's always mm-hmm. green there on the coast. They, their winters are a little milder, so they can keep more fat on them. But other than that, I'm not really sure. Hmm. Well, that's cool. So if you had to choose between Rosie's and Rocky Mountain Elk, what would you choose? I take Rockies all day long. And the yeah. reason I take Rockies all day long is because of the terrain that the Rocky Mountain Elk are in. I really like chasing them in those high country, high mountains, um, in the Aspens and all that. Those are just fun hunts and they're beautiful hunts. The coastal is nice. Uh, don't get me wrong, but it's, it's same steepness, same all that, but it is thick and mm-hmm. wet most of the time. And no, thanks. <laughs> I'd rather be up yeah. high in the dry mountains. Gotcha. Okay. No, that makes sense. So I know, um, I know that they relocated some of some Rocky Mountain elk out east. Uh, I can't remember what year it was, but I think it was back in the 90s or late 80s. Um, and now there's a couple herds out there. There's one in North Carolina, and there's one in Kentucky. And Kentucky's doing their first actual elk hunt. It was either last year or the year before where you get, I think they only give out like one or two tags. Um, and those elk actually have evolved to be a lot smaller because they're also in those thicker forests as well. Um, and their, their antlers don't seem to get as big, but I think their bodies are actually smaller. I've never seen them in person. I didn't realize we had elk in North Carolina until, um, I don't know, it was probably when I first started looking into elk. But of course, you know, last year when I came home empty-handed, my mom sent me a video of a traffic jam in North Carolina in the mountains because yeah. of elk. You know, they're oh. just all over the road. I was like, oh, thanks. That's yeah. cool. You know, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that, that'd be a cool hunt to go back East and, and do that. But, um, anyway, so you, so you've gone, you know, Idaho, Oregon, you're going, uh, Arizona elk hunting. Um, you know what, I guess we've talked a little bit about this before, but just remind me what, what is it about elk for you that really stands out? Like, why is that the animal of choice that you would, you would go after? You know, that's a good question. So uh, I, I like to pursue elk, one, because of the terrain that they're in. But two, it's like it's like that majestic staple of the mountains, you know. E- everybody has this big six-point bull dream of harvesting. It's kind of everybody's goal. And it's an animal that in some states it's only draw. So it's it takes a while for people to get them or you have to hunt out of state. And when you finally get the opportunity, it's – it's a challenge. It's not a walk in the park. These things don't just live where you can walk out like a back door in a flat field all the time and just go get an elk. Most of the time you're hiking mountains and putting in miles and, and there's a lot of challenges that come with them. And for me, chasing them and uh, like mule deer, it's just the pure challenge and chase that I fell in love with. And also who doesn't love screaming bull elk? Like just chasing a bull in the rut is, is like nothing I've ever experienced before in my life. Yeah, no, for sure. And, um, you know, with, with, with that being said, uh, they're definitely more interactive, um, you know, for sure. And, uh, I love seeing it. So I've only been around once where they actually got in a brawl and, uh, that just the sound of the, you know, the clanking of their antlers together, just, it just, it really doesn't compare. There's not really anything that you can compare uh, you know, hunting elk to, 
again, I love mule deer. They're awesome. Uh, they live in some cool terrain, but there's just, I don't get the same excitement, uh, that I get out of a, out of an elk. Um, I even get excited when I'm driving down the road, uh, going to maybe I'm on a trip or even going hunting. And I find that they've changed the sign, the yellow sign from deer crossing to elk crossing. I'm like, yes, like (laughs) it just, it's a good feeling. It feels good. Also like, you know, I don't care if it's your first time or your thousandth time hearing a bugle. It always gets me excited. Like that bugle. Oh yeah. It's just one of those sounds that I think it puts a smile on everybody's face or gets somebody excited. It's just addictive. Exactly. Oh, hundred percent. They are, it's, there's something about it. And I don't know if it's cause it's in our DNA. I don't know if it's something that, I don't know. I, I feel like it's, it's a lot like archery. Um, and I know not everyone feels this way, but anytime I pick up my bow, it just, it's like, all right, I get to shoot some arrows. It feels yeah. great. Um, and it's just exciting that way. So, um, man, that that's awesome. I want to talk a little bit about this, the Grizz media and, uh, and hunt wars. Okay. So talk to me about Grizz Media. What do you guys do there? And then we'll get into Hunt Wars. Oh, yeah. So Grizz Media is uh, founded by Jesse Anderson. He kind of created it. It was It's kind of his baby. And he expanded it by hiring on uh, myself, Kobe Owens, and Logan, and Andy. Uh, we kind of work all together. And as a group, we do, we're trying to transition more into where it's like, us hunting and us filming each other but right now we pick up odd and in jobs and we help film other hunts and with other companies as well and then jesse does graphic design and logo design for a lot of outdoor companies on the side gotcha so it's a outdoor based media that you guys kind of freelance things whether it be photography videography uh and then graphic design stuff yes yeah exactly for right now yeah we're hoping to eventually transform it into where you know we can, it'll be us and our hunts and we'll be out there filming each other more or less. But yeah, as right now, kind of freelancing around and doing our stuff on the side too. Yeah, no, for sure. That's awesome. So with, with Grizz Media then, uh, Hunt Wars now, I met the guys, I think it was three years ago at TAC was when I first met them. Um, and that was, they were pretty new. When did Hunt Wars start? They're on season four this year so season three yeah so three years ago they would have just started kind of pushing that gotcha okay so with with hunt wars how'd you get linked up with those guys what's kind of the story behind that so i was with grizz media and through grizz media i noticed they put out an application on instagram saying they were looking for videographers or photographers and uh went on there and jumped at the bit talked to uh Wes and Britt a little bit and was like, Hey, you know, I'd, I'd love to come out there and film with you guys. If you're interested, kind of showed them what I did with Grizz media. And then that kind of, they're like, okay, yeah. So actually Kobe, Kobe Owens and myself, we went out there and we filmed a New Mexico, excuse me, not New Mexico. It was a Mexico coos deer hunt, uh, January of this year. And then from there, we kind of built a relationship and, and gone forward from there. Oh, that's awesome. So when you do stuff with Hunt Wars, um, have you ever participated in Hunt Wars? I don't think I've seen you on any of the actual no. um, competitions. Okay, so you go out and you do media stuff uh, with Hunt Wars. And kind of explain that for people that don't know what Hunt Wars is, what's kind of the premise behind it? Um, you know, what what why is it created? What is it for? Yeah, so Hunt Wars is um, 
well, for example, this year we have a New Mexico archery elk hunt, right? The mm-hmm. application fee is a hundred dollars and there's far less people that put in for hunt wars than put in for an actual draw tag for the state, right? So you have pretty high odds of drawing with hunt wars to hunt a different state that maybe you've never hunted. And this year we have elk and mule deer hunting. And so those would be, you pay a hundred dollars for your application or, or you mm-hmm. could pay more depending on how many applications you wanted to submit. And then you're in the system, you get drawn, you get interviewed and based off your interview and how you interview through the questions, they'll place you in a hunt, either a muzzleloader, elk hunt, archery, elk hunt, archery, mule deer, or rifle mule deer. You know, those are the hunts we had this year. And then there'll be a couple teams. There's usually three or four teams that go out there, one shooter and one person that comes with you. So for instance, if it was you and I who drew, we could decide who's going to be the shooter and then who's going to kind of be the caller or the glasser or the spotter, you know, and then you go on your hunt. The hunt wars part of it, is when you get out there, there are deductions and points that you can gain from the distance you have harvested your animal, the age of the animal, and the time spent out there. So there's kind of a scorecard that they have, how they score everything. And you can get deductions, you know, if you're, if you're shooting further distance with a rifle instead of trying to get closer, or if you're with a bow and you shoot a further distance instead of getting closer, you know, there's deductions there, deductions for different age classes, um, and you can get extra points for, you know, certain age classes or getting closer and from there they kind of pick uh, a king of the camp is how it works mm. and your whole gotcha. hunt is filmed by other hunters like myself who go out there and film you guys cool so you so hunt wars basically you there's a hundred dollar application fee and then they cover everything else if you win that they cover all of your expenses for the hunt everything like that correct yeah the food and everything cool. at camp is provided for you all you got to do is show up and ready to go Cool. Now, are they ever like, are there penalties for, because when you say you can gain points by, for how far away you harvested the animal, um, is that the closer you get, the more points you get or the further away the shot is the more points you get. Correct. So the closer you get, you'll, you know, you get positive points, the further you'll get, gotcha. you get negative points. Um, the whole thing is behind it is we want hunters to come out there but still be ethical and have a fun time and hopefully Mm -hmm. harvest a mature animal. It's not just the point to come out there and the first deer you see, if it's a spike, you shoot it and you're done. Um, So we want you to be out there and have fun, but still hunt with the maturity and ethics on the side as well. Not just to win a competition. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's why when you first said that, I was like that, let me, I want to clarify that because it's not like how many yards you get points for. So, okay. No, that yeah. that's awesome. Um, and then I guess, you know, you, you get the recording of it, you get to have an amazing experience. You get to go hunt in some areas that you may never get to hunt again in your life. Um, I mean, there's a lot that goes into, uh, into the hunt wars thing. So I guess, and maybe I should have the guys on from hunt wars, but do you know why they, they started it? What was the whole purpose why they even got this thing going i mean it's a big production and it's a lot of cost to be able to take four or six or however many people they take uh, as teams to go out there plus all the sponsorships because i've seen a couple of episodes i think i watched one season um you know you get the glassing you've got the wall tents you've got the food you've got the tags you've got uh all the gear that they're decked out in like they give you you know clothing and optics and vinyl harnesses all this stuff right so there's a lot that goes into it. Why, 
why would you start something like that when people can just go hunt and buy their own stuff? <laughs> yeah, so I'm not entirely sure on that one, uh, but Troy is the one who created uh, Hunt Wars. So he would be the guy to talk to about like what the premise uh, and the idea behind the whole project was. Cool. Well, I'll have to get his contact info from you. And I know I've messaged with uh, whoever runs their Instagram. We, we've messaged back and forth, especially uh, since... It would have been Britt, and, and now it's me who's on their social media side. So it was probably Britt. But I guess about three years ago when we started, uh, when I met him at TAC. Okay, yeah. It'd be Britt or Wes. Gotcha. Okay. I think it was a dude, so it was probably Wes. Um, cool. Yeah, I'll have to get Troy's information to get him on here so we can talk about it. Because I, I like the idea of of that kind of competition. Um, there's also other things too, right? Where they, they'll shoot at camp, um, and have different archery competitions at camp. Do I, am I mixing that with something else or? So that episode, yeah, what happens was, you know, it's a draw, I believe in mm -hmm. that episode there, nobody tagged out and to figure oh, out right. who the king of the camp was going to be, they had a little shoot off there, uh, at camp to just kind of determine who was going to win the competition. Um, but yeah, it's a great time when we go out there. Uh, there's always fun games that we play when we get back off the hill and there's always good food. So you can always count on it being a great time out there. No, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, uh, you know, you, you work with a bunch of media companies. We talked, you know, yesterday, uh, yeah. about the, uh, let's say yesterday for people that people that are listening to audio probably doesn't make a difference. Uh, but if you're watching this, you're, you're going to see that we've, we've changed clothes and there's a few other different things in the, in the video here. But, um, you know, we were talking about how, uh, how you got into camera work, et cetera. Did you do digital design and a bunch of other things before you got into using a camera or how did you even get involved in Grizz Media? Was it the camera or what, what got you into that? Yeah. So honestly, I mean, it started with an iPhone taking photos and then I just wanted to up my game. Uh, I actually mm -hmm. bought a Canon ADD uh, DSLR. It's kind of an entry level camera. From there, I started taking photos and upgrading my glass. Um, and then when I was posting on Instagram uh, earlier in this, uh, when we were talking, I was telling you how I like to look at other people's photos to kind of get an idea or see how they're editing stuff. And mm -hmm see how I can challenge myself out there when I'm out taking photos. And Jesse Anderson ended up being one of the guys who I'd seen on there, which was Grizz Media. It's like, wow, I really like this guy's photos. So I kind of talked to him back and forth, trying to pick his brain on like how he took photos and, and what he did. And eventually we just kept talking and uh, he kind of liked the work I did. And we started working together with Grizz Media. That's kind of how I got transferred into there. So yeah, everything kind of happened from a camera. And Again, everything was done trial and error. I picked up a camera, started taking photos. People on Instagram would be like, wow, this is a horrible photo. And I'm like, okay, why is it a horrible photo? They would tell me and give me some feedback. I'm like, I love this. I'm going to take it. I'm going to run with it. So I'd go back, I'd take some photos. And then somebody's like, oh, this is a great photo. Try the rule of thirds. And so then from there, I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to try framing stuff now. And then I learned how to frame and edit. And like uh, Fred Bohm, I believe is his name. Uh, I really love his photography style. And so I would pick his brain and read his articles. And I was like, okay, this is how I'm going to start uh, applying to my camera and photography side and kind of build my own form. Yeah, no, for sure. Have you, uh, and that, that's really awesome that you take the feedback, you adjust it, you make things better. Um, you don't get upset. A lot of people will take criticism in a negative light. And, and I can see why that's the case, but it's funny that you, 
you mentioned that that's a big deal and how you've come to uh, accomplish what you have is that you were open to that feedback. And I think that's something that's lacking in a lot of, I mean, just about everything. You know, I, I'll say that communication is the reason for a lot of failures and a lot of successes, uh, whether it be companies or relationships. If you don't communicate clearly, it doesn't matter how much money you're making or how much money you have or how much time you spend with each other. If you're not communicating, that don't mean that doesn't mean anything. But if you're communicating, you can get through any, whether it be in a relationship, you can get through any hardship, whether it be financial, uh, you know, physical, whatever you can get through it. If you're communicating, if you're in a business or like in your sense, putting things out online, you're putting yourself out there and you're putting it out there and receiving that communication in a filter of, I'm not going to get upset. I'm going to accept that feedback and keep going with it. That's awesome. I mean, that speaks, that speaks volumes to, uh, to your character, you know, to, to the person that you are. So, um, that's really cool. Now with, um, you know, with your photography, the rule of thirds and everything like that, uh, that you've learned so far, what would you say to people that are maybe getting into photography? And I know there's so many different realms of photography. You've got like the family pictures versus portraits versus, you know, but say someone wants to get into uh, the style of photography that you're into, which is more outdoorsy uh, products. You don't even, to be honest with you, you don't even, I guess you do products, but it's not like flat lays and things like that. You use the products, you're taking pictures of them in their, uh, it's maybe not natural element, but you know what I'm saying? You take pictures of them outside where they're going to be used. Um, if someone wants to get into that kind of photography, what would be something that you'd recommend uh, to to those people? I would first just start off with go with what what you what you want to do, right? So if if you want to take a photo of it at a certain angle, just just take a photo of it at what you think looks awesome. Get the photo and then I would put it on on social media and just ask for honest feedback on it and take the constructive criticism, but don't take it, you know, don't take it to heart. These people are trying to help you out from other photographers or send it maybe to mm -hmm. a photographer that you trust and follow as well and say, hey, what do you think of this? And what could you do different? Or what would you recommend me doing differently? And then from there, you know, I, I like to think of it as you're going to gain all this information from all these people. And it's like a recipe, right? You get all these ingredients, but now you get to choose how you're going to use them to make your finished product. And it'll kind of give you your own style. Um, I recommend that because then that helps you find your style of photography and videography that's going to make you stand out from everybody else. If you go on YouTube and, and follow Peter McKinnon or some of these other guys or go on Instagram and just start copying one guy, it's, it's, it's their work but copied onto your side. Mm -hmm. So it's easier to be more creative, I think, when you just run and gun with your ideas originally and then mold it from there. Yep. No, exactly. I, I definitely agree with you on that. Cause you know, to some degree, it's hard to find your own style when it's a saturated market. I mean, photography is everywhere. Now everyone has an iPhone and that's really what I use is an iPhone. And to a trained eye, you can tell a difference to someone that isn't trained in photography you really can't tell much of a difference between an edited iPhone photo and an edited picture out of a camera nowadays. And so it's awesome, uh, you know, to, to know that you're creating your own style, 
when literally everyone could be a photographer in a certain degree um, at, at this day and age. Uh, someone else that I wanted to bring up to you, and I, I was trying to, I was looking him up and I, I found him here. Have you uh, spoken with David Martinez in these mountains? I have not, no. Okay, I'll have to send you his link because he's a pretty awesome dude. He does a lot of uh, bighorn sheep photography, videography. I mean, it looks like he's like right there up on the sheep, but I know he's got one of those big old lenses. Um, yeah, but I mean, he gets... Oh, you have? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he's... Uh, man, he's got like just looking at... He gets the detail of the eye color on mountain goats and sheep. Like, what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> like, it just blows my mind. Uh, but you know, if you had to choose, I guess, between wildlife photography and, uh, photography of, I mean, what, I guess, let me back up here. What would you describe your style of photography as? Everywhere, <laughs> everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> um, and, uh, so I really like to do the product photography, but like you said, I don't like to do lays as much because there's a lot of people who do lays. And I think, uh, AJ over at Night of the Apex, I mean, he, he kills it on the layouts there mm -hmm. all the time. And I love it. But the thing is, is like, you can go on his page, you see how he does a layout, you take a photo, and then it's kind of like copying him. And I, and I don't want to mm -hmm. be like that. So my style is like you, you were saying earlier, I like to use the product in the field or how you would be using the product. And like, I guess you would say action shots kind of way, like this is the use of it. And then mm -hmm. I also now just started recently because of Gray and Mitch over at Creek Bed Photography. Uh, I got a camera lens and I was thinking, you know, Arizona's a great spot, but everything's a draw hunt, right? But there's some big bulls I see out there. I was like, well, I can shoot them still, but I don't have to kill them. I'll just use my camera, right? So I'm taking the hunting aspect of it. And with the lens I have, I still have to get within that 100 yard range. So it's kind of like a bow hunt jumped into the wildlife side of photography there a little bit. And I can't wait to show you guys what I get this year. It's going to be pretty epic, I'm hoping. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of just everywhere. I'm a little bit dabbling in bits and pieces here and there. Cool. If you had to choose one thing uh, that you could take photos of for the rest of your life, what it would it be? Definitely be a hunt. It would be like an archery elk hunt or an archery mule deer hunt. Like if not just one thing, but like a hunt with somebody because there's so much that goes into it you know you got all day and all night you can get the sunrise sunset photos but you're bow mm -hmm. hunting there's so many different photos you can get on a hunt that i think are just awesome that's awesome that's 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 a great answer you had a good uh you had a good response there you were you weren't thinking about it for very long um so what i guess what is a goal of yours that you have with what you're doing? Cause obviously you're providing beautiful content. You're sharing it with the masses. Um, you're, you use quality gear, uh, and you work with, you know, some great media companies and obviously encouraging the, the hunt wars, but what's a, a personal goal that you've got maybe over the next five years, uh, that you're wanting to improve on and maybe even, I mean, is it a goal of yours to get out of your nine to five and to eventually, do your own thing or you know what 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 are you aiming for with photography or did, i guess marketing or uh, media in general definitely honestly if i could um yeah i would love to be able to start making enough with the photography and videography work that i could walk away from the nine to five 
and just film and hunt. Even if I'm not the hunter, I would just be happy running around out there with the camera, filming and taking photos. Like that would be a, a dream come true for me. Um, so yeah, five year plan would be definitely if I could build it up enough to go out there or build up with Hunt Wars or Grins Media enough that I could just jump over to one of them and call it that, that would be awesome. Cool. I like that plan. Uh, and then as far, you know, as, as far as the equipment that you use, um, with hunting, what is your style of hunting? Do you prefer bivy backpacking? Uh, do you prefer mobile where you go in for a day, three to four miles off the trailhead, hunt that area all day and night, come out in the dark and move spots? What's your style of hunting that, that you prefer? So I would say I'm a mix between mobile and backpacking in. Uh, I really, I'm, I'm a spot and stock guy and I like to get in there and find animals. But if there's a lot of pressure in one area, I'm never set in stone on just one spot. I usually try to find multiple spots that I can move to or maybe even at a whim and, you know, just throw a dart at a board and be like, okay, I'm going there. Um, I like to explore a little bit. And just because back home in Oregon, I'd get to a spot, you know, I've been scouting it. I know the elk are there. It's great. You get to the trailhead. There's eight trucks there. And you get back there and you start just hearing people bugling. And it's like, all right, I at least didn't have my heart set on this spot. So it's okay. Let's go ahead. Let's try a different spot. And from there, I've learned a lot about elk and learned a lot about the environment because you'll hit spots and you're like, oh, you know, I never, I would have never looked at this spot to go to, but because there's pressure here and here, I looked at a map and I was like, okay, well, this is the furthest spot from the pressure. I'm going to go in there. You get in there and you're by yourself and it's, it's just an awesome experience. Oh, that's cool. So give us a rundown then, I guess, of your, of your gear. Everyone likes to talk gear and uh, figure we might as well with someone that likes to take product photography and, and knows his gear. Uh, say on a typical, I don't know, four day hunt with okay. a bow. Um, what are you taking in your backpack? Like, give us five things, your top five items that you're taking, leave food aside, leave weapon aside, your top five gear items that you're putting in your backpack. So I always have a, uh, a water purification of some kind. Um, I think that's important just because you just never know what could happen out there. Mm. Water is pretty important. Um, from there, I always will take pause on that. Yeah. What preferred method of water purification do you have? iodine tablets where you you know you filter through a little mesh you get all the crap out and then iodine do you uh pump it do you use a sawyer grail filter what what's your your go-to um i don't want to say it backwards i think it's msr right i believe mm -hmm. that makes a little pump filter um i use their little pump filter there just because it's compact throw it in the pack don't have to worry about it and i can just pump up i think it pumps up to like 100 gallons or something before it's like you need a new little filter and that's plenty for when I'm out there. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Cool. Sorry. Go ahead. There's just so many ways that I wanted to want yeah. to clarify and, and kind of pick yeah. your brain on that. The, the other thing too, about the filter that's nice is uh, I use a hard side hydration system. Mm -hmm. So it does make it nice. I can just pump straight into the bottle and sometimes uh, there's life strong stuff or Sawyer even you can just connect it mainstream and just fill up your bottle and then go straight from your hose, which is another way that I'll do it. Sometimes if I'm going, if I'm going on weight, that's how I'll condense it down is I'll just plug it right into my hose and then go that way. So you are, you're that hybrid where you like the, you like the Nalgene 
but you have the hard uh, the hard side hydration you know hose coming out yeah yep gotcha i really cool. enjoy that one uh nice. the next thing that i do take is uh that i think is pretty important is just you know some way to some way to make fire if if the weather goes bad wind goes bad you know that that's that's something i'm going to be taking out there and then i've always got onyx onyx is on my phone i always keep that and a backup gps it's usually a garmin um just because back there in the back country again you never know what could happen maybe your phone dies or you didn't charge your battery pack like you thought and now you're kind of up the creek without a paddle so then you have your garmin to at least get you out especially in some of the situations that we're getting ourselves into in this back countries when we're back there a couple of miles that's a uh, nice to have yeah no for sure sweet so you said water filter food or i guess fire onyx yep what else so the this one's a big one for a while there i used to take a, a hatchet because a hatchet was something you know you could split a pelvis with when you're out there in the mm. back country made it nice but um i recently switched over to like a foldable saw you know uh hme makes some uh, husky makes some you can get them at like any lowes or home depot but the foldable saws are super nice um if you're building a shelter or anything else a saw just makes really quick work of anything and it's always clean um and especially if you're trying to make like firewood at camp and stuff but also for splitting a pelvis it's easy or going down a vertebrae splitting them in half when you're cutting up the ribs uh i just like having a saw now so i'll take a foldable saw with me almost anytime i'm going back country i got a saw with me cool that that's a good items uh to have for sure uh now on the gear list let's talk about arrows uh, yep. i know we kind of talked about uh, the unfortunate events with, with Vector. Um, and for those that don't know, uh, Vector is no longer selling arrows. Uh, we won't go into details as, as far as what happened with the company. It was just unfortunate what ended up happening. But uh, would that be, I guess not Vector, Method. Apologized. I knew him as Vector, and then they went to Method. And now, yeah, no longer selling arrows, no longer in business. Uh, but with with that being said, you're looking at some other arrows um, and kind of walk me through why you've chosen those arrows that you're going to end up building out. Yeah, definitely. And real quick, one other thing that I do take that, uh, not a lot of people might know is, uh, night eyes, night eyes makes mm. like a little carabiner thing that holds up to 500 pounds and it's got a one way pull system on it. So when you have 550 cord, you're out there by yourself. Like a lot of times I am flipping over an elk might be difficult, mm -hmm. but it's got the one-way pull system on it. So I'll use that to pull game or hang up tarps and stuff. And that's just a little carabiner. And that's one thing I slap in there as well. But as far as arrows, so uh, I'm shooting the Easton Pro Comps. And man, like I shot the Axis Long Range, the Axis Long Range Match Grade, uh, the FMJs. And for me, I I'm, not, I'm not striving for an extremely heavy arrow. Uh, I like to have kind of a middle of the road arrow between about 480 and right around like 500 grains, like depending on what poundage I'm shooting, if it's 75 or and 80. And what's your draw length? Uh, I'm 29 and a half inches. I'll shoot 75 or 80 pounds usually. Um, cool. I just think that's important when people hear, you know, arrow grains, you need to know, uh, I don't hear a lot of people, they throw out arrow grains, but they don't really preface it with their draw length. Yeah. Um, and I think that's important for people to understand uh, draw length does matter because you're an inch to an inch and a half, depending on the bow longer in draw length than mine. So you're going to be at least 10 to 15 grains per inch 
heavier depending on the arrow you're shooting. But anyway, so 480 to 510, you said? About 500, yeah. I shoot for about 500. 500. Um, just for me, those setups give me the a tighter pin gap. They allow me to shoot a little further because, as you've seen, I like to shoot my bow at some crazy distances from 400 yards to 150 yards usually. Um, just at targets, I never never would shoot animal that far, but I like mm-hmm. to take my target archery as far as, as far as I can, just have fun with it. Um, but yeah, so I was testing all those arrows out, and I landed with the Easton Pro Comps because they've got me at about 490. And with my bow, I'm getting some pretty good speeds out of them. Not crazy fast. It's about 288 is what I'm getting right now to about 290-ish. Um, so it's still a good speed for fixed blade broadheads and mechanicals. I'm not getting that plane as bad. And the pro comps, when it comes to tuning, man, these things tune up like a dream for me. So uh switched over to those, and I absolutely love them. And I got the uh, titanium half out out there in front, so the mm. hole's a little bit bigger in the front allowing for that deeper penetration. Awesome. The titanium half out made by Easton? Made by Easton, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Have you messed around with uh, MFJJ's titanium half outs at all? I haven't, not yet. Okay, all right. But have you seen them? I have seen them, yeah. Okay, so I've actually got some. I'll show people here. They're sitting. I know it looks like a science experiment in there, but um, and some acetone uh, because I, so I actually sent one in Texas. I sent one into a rock. and unintentionally, obviously, I wasn't aiming for the rock, <laughs> yeah. but uh, I hit a little low on a target and it went through and, and smacked a rock. The the um, the field tip is flat as can be. But what it did was it shoved directly right back into the arrows and the arrows I'm shooting are ripped TKOs and it mushroomed it out. Um, but I was able to and that's why I've got him sitting in there trying to get the glue off of them. Uh, but the uh, it mushroomed out the carbon but it went straight back and it's not bent at all. And so I can, you know, I just cut the carbon off and I'll soak them in acetone for a little bit and get the, get the glue off of it. And I'll just pop them in another arrow. Um, but yeah, they're not bent or anything. So that titanium, although pricey, uh, because titanium definitely costs more. I'm sure the Eastern ones were uh, more expensive, uh, than the regular brass or other inserts that you've got. Um, but yeah, there, it, that titanium's worth it. And, things that I, you know, I don't know, you can go down that rabbit hole of aluminum versus titanium, etc. And I think there's very small, like if you shoot your arrows a lot, I can see the benefit of it because the, the aluminum could bend possibly if you're shooting a lot of foam, possibly hitting rebar, uh, you know, you're sending it into rocks or whatever on accident. Um, it could bend the aluminum, which could cause issues with your arrow. I personally have never really had any issues with the uh, Victory Aluminum outserts. I've had some that did end up bending. And again, all I had to do was pop them out and the arrow was fine. The arrow spun great. Um, I've sent them through some shoulder blades and the aluminum outserts were great. So between those and these titaniums, you know, I've never had any issues um, with with either one, uh, to be honest with you, as far as performance goes. But it all comes down to, you know, in my opinion, cutting the arrow straight, squaring it off, making sure it's seated right as far as your outsert, spinning your arrows, making sure things are good to go. And then uh, I want to ask you, do you do you cut your arrows as short as possible to where it's basically no more carbon left when it's touching the rest? Or how do you how do you do it? So I cut went out so a little different. If these half outs here that I have, you know, they sit on the carbon and they stick out a little bit from the carbon. Mm-hmm. 
So with these pro comps, what I'm doing is I'm cutting it so that when the half out is on there, the half out, if this was the riser of my bow, the half out is like just poking out. So when I screw the, the tip on there or the broadhead, it's just sticking out just in front of my bow. Mm -hmm. And I, I like to get it as short as I can where it's still comfortable to shoot. Um, and I think I just do that mainly to have the weight come out good. Cause if I do bump it up, then I do hit those 500 grain marks mm -hmm. a little more and I lose a little bit of distance down range. So I do try to shrink it up and I hit that 490 to 488 ish mark. So just, and I'm just asking because this is, you know, things that are, I guess, coming up right now, but what, why don't you cut it even shorter to where you're basically where your rest is say, this is your rest right here. I guess yeah. sideways here. I'm going to do this wrong. But anyway, that's your the top of your rest. And the carbon is here. Well, maybe I've got some. We'll say the pin's carbon. Yeah. Why don't you cut it to where it's barely on the rest? And then, you know, right past the pin right here is your your uh, outsert. Uh, so do you, uh, I don't, I, I think it's called a shag pad or whatever. I think that's what uh, Vapor Trail calls it. Do you run the uh, little rubber uh, piece that goes on to hold your arrow off the riser from the rest. It's like a little rubber mm. shit that goes on your shelf. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when I cut it that close, I've noticed if I draw back because it's got those two little U's, mm -hmm. depending on the orientation of your broadhead, your blades can touch that. And I've actually had, I've seen it on my bow where I had a blade oriented down and it moved the arrow a little bit. So I like to keep the arrow just in front or the broadhead blade just in front. Mm -hmm. So it's not going to touch maybe or anything inside that riser. Um, and I don't have to worry about thinking, Oh, is it going to bump this or is it oriented? Right. I just hmm. run it just in front just to get rid of that. What if I guess I haven't thought of. So when you're drawing back your, your broadheads, like you're, it's still down enough to where it'll hit that, the little U cup that's at the end there. Depending, yeah, so depending on how your blade, I've noticed uh, mm. there were, what were they? I believe they're buzz cuts I was had mm. on there. And when the blade was pointed straight down due to that pad, even though the rest was up, the blade mm. could touch one of those if it wasn't mm. pointed and it would push the tip just a little bit. And I, I noticed it because when I shot one, I was like, oh, that hit way left and I couldn't figure out why. Mm. And I looked at it and it had a little cut in that pad. I was like, so it touched. And from then on, also, I mean, a lot of people have their hand right there. So I just figured, you know, I'm just going to cut them flush with the riser and then I'll put the blade out in front of the riser. And I have nothing to worry about in that little area. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. So I, yeah, this is, and I grabbed an arrow cause it's definitely a better example, but yeah. I make it to where basically the rest is right there. Yeah. So then I got the end of the carbon. Like right at the front of your riser then, right? On this, on these. Yeah. And then yeah. I'm trying to think if I have any my other ones but with the half outs because like this right here that little this part right here is actually carbon so it kind of it's almost like a collar in a way because yeah. that aluminum covers the carbon but on the half outs i cut it to where you know the half outs are butted up against the carbon there yep and so and i don't i wish i had some here so we could talk about it but anyway um like i will cut it that short so it's it's like where the rest is still sitting here right. and then the half outs right there and then the blades right here. So Heck. I don't know. I, I, I get, I, and I just wanted to ask just because um, obviously you've been shooting a bow longer than I have. So I just wanted to see what you've got 
like why you do it that way. But, um, no, it makes sense. Makes sense. I've never, I've never had that issue, I guess, where it actually interfered with, uh, the little pad that I had interfered with the blades. So do you just shoot really wide broadheads or are, were those buzz cuts kind of, kind of wide? They're, yeah, they were a wider blade style. And I just mm. noticed once I noticed they touched, um, I was like, huh, you know, maybe I don't want to have to think about it. If like a blade could touch that, it shouldn't yeah. touch that. But, it, you know, it was clocked just perfectly. It wasn't straight up and down. Mm. It was clocked just perfectly where it touched yeah. that side. And I was like, man, I, I don't want to have to worry about that. Mm. So uh, I, I've since then, I now I shoot sever broadhead. So honestly, I really don't have anything to worry yeah. about there. But uh, yeah, if I was going to throw a fixed blade on there, uh, it's just a thought that I had one day. And when I noticed the broadhead went off on me, I was like, I've been shooting pretty good and I looked and it had a little a little cut on there and I noticed that the blade when I knocked it and had the spine right the blade was sitting like this and of course that U is down here so the, it came across the side of the U and was touching this side of the pad and I was like oh hmm. and it was just the top half of it but as you know once you're at full draw the tension on everything else just a micro touch here and there can make a big difference once you get down range 100% 100% cool um I guess what other what haven't we talked about, whether it be with media or hunting or archery uh, that you'd like to talk about as far as like, you know, something you want to leave for the listeners or uh, something you want to bring up? I do like the the conversation about, you know, like poundage and, and arrows. Like that's always a hot topic. Like, a lot of people like to talk about that. Um, and I see a lot of different things. And recently, I mean, we were talking about it there for a little bit uh Dudley and everybody else they're they're talking about going back to the fun the fundamentals of everything else and uh that's awesome um I really like that that's coming up because I've worked on a lot of bows um some might not know it but when I worked at Sportsman's Warehouse I I was a bow tech there and I worked helping people at bow tech in Eugene so did a lot of work there um and you'd see people come in you know and they're always chasing either heavy weight or heavy poundage and it's it's an interesting topic to see people what they chase and, and the reasons why sometimes their only reason why is, Oh, I saw it on YouTube or, Oh, well, this is what you need to blow through a two by four at 60 yards. And it's like, well, are you hunting Cape Buffalo or are you hunting elk? Like it's always yep. a fun topic. Exactly. You know, what's interesting is, uh, you know, Dudley just did a podcast with, um, with ranch fairy, uh, Troy. Yeah. And so I recommend that people go and listen to that because it's a lot of eye-opening information. But basically what I gathered from that is one, there's no real, and I think by the time this podcast comes out, people will realize this. There's not really any beef. Um, like people are talking about right now, uh, that there's some beef going on. There's really not. Uh, it's just that Dudley doesn't want people to see go backward. They doesn't want to see people go backwards in their archery skills because they latched onto that heavy arrow mentality. And Troy, uh, I think people watch his, his stuff and take it to the bank or treat, treat it as gospel. And what they don't realize is that, yes, he's been shooting a bow for a while, but in he'll he says this in the podcast, he's uh one, he's never killed an elk and two, he doesn't know proper shooting technique. And so when people are taking this 600, 700 grain arrow, 300 grain broadhead uh, stuff and going and changing their whole setup for it, um, that's what Dudley's talking about is, well, how about you focus on your technique and your yeah. accuracy? And then if you really want to have a bigger pin gap on your site, then, you know, talk about that. But 
Um, if you're hitting in the right spot, you know, and those like you're shooting mechanicals, that's another hot conversation is fixed versus mechanical. And I like both. They both do great things. Uh, and, and for different reasons, you know, each tool is for a different thing. And if you're shooting mechanicals, you need to stay away from the shoulder. It's as simple as that. There's a lot of vitals behind the shoulder that you don't need to go through the shoulder. Um, and even with a fixed broadhead, you probably shouldn't be aiming towards that scapula area. Um, and I, I, I think people just need to, they need to stick with the, the fundamentals. I'm, I'm relatively new, uh, for almost five years into shooting a bow. Yeah. And, uh, I was blessed with not having to, I didn't have any bad habits coming into archery and I latched on to people like Dan Staten, Joel Turner, um, listening to Dudley school of school of knock or whatever it's called school of archery that he does free, free information on YouTube. And I would video myself and there was actually, um, I'm going to forget his name, but he worked at the bow rack for the longest time. Now he works at G4. Um, Inside out precision. It's Kellen. Yes. Yes. Yep. So he was a big help too, is he, he on one of his videos said, Hey, anyone out there that wants help, send me videos. And I took him up on that. And he legitimately walked me through some things. He was like, Hey, you're probably about an inch to a half inch short on your draw. You looked a little cramped, um, this and that and the other, and like walked me through some stuff. And so all of that combined, I'm not the world's best shooter, but, uh, I I'm consistent and I, I attribute that to, um, it was kind of self-coaching, but at the same time, like latching on to, uh, gathering the information from people that are better than me is yeah. what it boils down to. And not thinking that I'm, I'm the greatest cause I'm definitely not. I, I think that's a huge mindset to have. Like I, I told you early on in the podcast, uh, Henry Bass and Michael Harrington kind of got me into it and I started in target archery. And I mean, even though I was shooting bows and I'm, let's say uh, 11 years in now, it, I will walk up to somebody um, and I, I won't say, oh, I've shot a bow for 11 years now, um, mm-hmm. this and that. No, like the first thing is I'm, I'm kind of new to archery. Um, what do you do that makes you so good? If, and like, I try to pick their brain. And again, it's kind of like with the photography, you get all the recipes that you need or all the ingredients you need to make what you need to, and you make what works best for you um, when it comes yep. to archery. And when you're talking about that as, as well, the bow rack, I mean, these guys, uh, Kellen was a huge influence. Once I started going to the bow rack and talking to him, I, I was getting information from him. Um, Wayne Indicott, I was picking his brain and kind of learning about stuff. And they kind of want to talk about someone that's a wealth of knowledge, but doesn't put it out there on social media. Freaking Wayne Indicott. I haven't had the pleasure of meeting him, but one day that's a goal of mine is to go and meet him when I'm up in Oregon. And, uh, he is someone that has killed a lot of stuff and has tuned a lot of bows and has shot a lot of bows. He's got, he's got a ton of knowledge. He's like a a silent killer out there right Mm -hmm. now. Not a lot of people know about him, but when it comes to archery, that man knows exactly what he's doing and knows how to shoot a bow extremely well. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But yeah. And talking to him too, he, you know, he talked to me and he's like, I see people spending all these money, all this money on these heavy arrows and all this and that. And he's like, look, uh, there's applications for it. And the, what I took from it is basically if you were going on elk hunt, it's pretty common sense for most people. You're not taking a 22 rifle, right? You're going to take something of caliber, but you also don't really need a 338 Lapua or a 50 cal. Like there's, there's you, you and me and probably everybody else knows there's a point at which there's overkill and there's underkill, Mm -hmm. but then there's the point where you get that, that middle range and kind of when it comes to arrows, what I've 
gathered over the years and talking to Wayne and all of them is that there, there is the point at which you're so far under your speed chaser and it's like throwing a toothpick. Like it's, it's not really practical. And then there's a point at which you get so heavy, you blow the practicality out of the water and your pin gaps are, you're only getting like 40 yards. Um, mm-hmm. So there's those middle grounds where I think like for me, I like to shoot distance with my arrows, but I still like to have a good arrow to hunt with. And with the arrows I have on my site right now, I can shoot out to 160 yards with pins. I have pins out to 160, but that arrow can also harvest anything. And I've shot plenty of deer with it out to 70. So I know, and gotten pass-throughs at 70. So I know the setup is tried, true, and tested. I mean, that buck right there was shot at 71 yards with a severed broadhead, Easton Pro Comp, perfect pass-through. But like you were saying before, comes down to shot placement so you gotta if you're gonna shoot a bow you gotta be able to shoot a bow and group decently and then from there i think you can tweak oh should i go mechanical or is my poundage mm-hmm. enough to even do that like start out with just like what dudley and everybody else is saying now the fundamentals get the the shooting down and make sure you're comfortable there and then tinker with the setup that works best for you but isn't you know underkill or overkill exactly exactly yep and you know it it's uh i think i can't remember what dudley said exactly i'm not going to quote him well but basically saying you know 10 spend 10 minutes a day on the range rather than going and changing your whole setup and spending two days retuning your bow and doing all this other stuff like you can be such a better archer and so much more uh effective as a hunter if you just spend that time working on your shot process working on you know your aim getting your sight dialed in uh, all of those things and and learning your your process even better uh than than what's the newest fanciest gadget that's going to make cuz it's not it's not going to change anything for you uh you know and there there's so many things like for I just say for example you know I shot so I shot my first bow is a Hoyt and I think it's oh it's on the ground back there um and I won't ever get rid of that bow cuz it was my first one uh, and then, you know, I shot a Matthews all last year and I really wanted to like that bow, but there's just something about it. Like I shot it well, there's just something about it. I never really settled in to it. And that's me personally. So then I went back and grabbed the VTM 31. That one seemed to fit me well, was shooting well, and then got my hands on that, that Mach 34 right there. And, you know, I've never shot anything longer than a 31 inch axle to axle bow. And that thing just felt like butter. And, uh, and so it just, it's, it's all, it doesn't really matter. The bow brand doesn't matter what broadhead brand, you know, you just want something sharp. You want something that will cut and, uh, and, and you don't need the newest, fanciest, everything. Just what you need is to up your skills and to practice. I'm glad you mentioned the bows there because when I was, a when I was doing like bow tech work and stuff, you know, I would see people come into the shop and the first thing, like, it's funny, but I'd see people come in and they'd be like, give me a Hoyt and set it to 80 pounds. And I'm like, you want a Hoyt at 80 pounds? Why? Like, oh, campaign shoots 80 pounds. I want 80 pounds. I'm like, so are you getting a Hoyt because you want a Hoyt or because you see somebody shooting a Hoyt and you want it at 80 pounds? I'm like, how about we start you off at like 60 pounds, see if you can draw 60 comfortable. And like, you know, sometimes these guys who want 80 pounds, they're like, okay, 70 is quite a bit. Let's stop there. And it's like, mm-hmm. you see, you see people again, like getting the recipe, like, you see people doing stuff that doesn't mean that, that you have to do that. Like get something that works best for you. You said you shot a Matthews. It's something that didn't set right. 
you switched over, you shot a bow that felt good, but then you just found a bow that just was like money, you know, you got too hot, too cold and just right. So like you've got to, you might be dead set on, on a Hoyt because Cam Hayne shoots a Hoyt or a Matthews because Levi Morgan shoots a Matthews, right? Or a PSE because Dudley shoots a PSE. And yeah, they're great bows and they'll shoot and they'll do everything for you. But if you're not comfortable shooting the bow, you'll always be fighting the bow. So get something that originally you're comfortable with and you shoot well. And then from there, mm-hmm. it's the progression. And yeah, feel free to shoot other bows and make sure maybe maybe the newer model fixed the problem that you had with the other one. But find something that fits you. Once you get that figured out, get the fundamentals down, get your groups down. And then from there, go ahead, tinker with your arrows. Find a weight that you gets you the distance you want, the speed you want with the broadhead or fixed blade or excuse me, expandable that you want. Like tinker with it. But Definitely, I agree with you. Finding one that just feels right because there's no point in just getting frustrated the whole time. You're mm-hmm. just going to always be changing and never, you'll never progress. You'll just kind of hit a stalemate where you're like, oh, I can shoot a bow, but can't shoot a bow good. Yep. And something that I heard, so that's the other thing too. People talk about hand shock a lot. Um, draw cycle is important, but like when you're first shooting it in the shop, you get used to whatever draw cycle. Um, of the bow eventually when you shoot enough arrows all the other bows are going to feel weird after you get used to that one draw cycle um i think there's definitely a lot of other like your your string angle is very important that's going to affect your accuracy a lot more than hand shock you know people are like oh i felt the hand shock i'm like well hand shock you're not going to be when you shoot that buck you're not going to be sitting there oh man my bow my, my bow vibrated a little bit more after the shot like you're not going to be thinking that what What's important about hand shock and why I think people that are that know about it um, talk about it is because it demonstrates the efficiency to transfer energy to the arrow rather than your riser. And a lot of people don't realize that. They just hear people say, oh, there's more hand shock here. Or, oh, there's a dull vibration, blah, blah, blah. And that seems to be the, the thing that people talk about in their bow reviews. And I'm like, well, I know some of these people know this. Why don't you say it more? But it's got to do with the efficiency of the bow rather than uh, the feel of it after the shot. Cause again, you're going to be shaking like a leaf, no matter what you shoot, whether it's a spike doe cow, biggest bull you've ever seen. Like you're going to be shaking after you've killed something and sent an arrow through, through a, a body. Um, so that hand shock's not really going to matter. And again, the draw cycle isn't at, you know, everyone's different, but what really matters is that string angle and just kind of how you settle into it. Are you ba- able to be consistent with that same, you know, process with the bow and then again yeah that that, i mean every bow riser is a little bit different as far as the uh angle you know that your hand naturally sits in um i know hoyts have changed it recently but they used to be a little bit more high wristed which felt comfortable for me because i'm used to shooting glocks which are also a very similar grip angle there's a lot of stuff that goes into it but go into it with an open mind because you're not getting a paycheck to shoot any of these bows you know, <laughs> like Cam yeah. Haynes is getting paid guys. Levi Morgan's getting paid. Dudley's getting paid. Like they like the the companies. That's why they work with them, but they're also getting paid to shoot those bows. You're not going with an open mind. You're going to be spending the same amount of money, whichever brand you go with um, and just go shoot the bows. That's, you know, that's what I recommend to people, even though what works for me, if you shoot a Matthews, you love Matthews. They're great bows. Uh, I shoot PSE. I've shot Hoyt. I've shot Matthews. Um, I like the Botex. The new Botex are pretty sweet as well. Like there's so many different options out there. That's what's so great about it is go into a shop, get them set up, plan on spending probably two hours and then sleeping on it 
and yeah. not just making the purchase right there. Bow shop's going to hate me for saying that. Sorry, Wild Arrow. But like, <laughs> you go in, think about it, sleep on it, come back and make that decision. Don't just YouTube it and, and see what, what everyone's shooting. So, yeah. um, although I, yeah, oh, go, ahead. go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was glad you said something about, you know, these guys are paid to shoot it. If you look at Dudley's or Levi Morgan's career, they've both shot different bows and they've both promoted those other bows, you know, and when it comes down to that, it's important to understand that it's not the bow, it's the archer. The archer can pick up any one of those bows. We could give Dudley a Genesis bow and he's probably going to be a Hawkeye with it. Like he's, mm -hmm. he can shoot a bow. So you just got to realize it's what comes out to be comfortable for you. And yes, they shoot those bows and yes, those bows shoot good. And I'm not dissing on any bow company, but it's important to figure out what bow shoots good for you. There was a time there where I shot prime bows. And when I had that prime, I think it was the black five, that bow just shot really well for me and was really accurate for me. So that was the bow I hunted with. Um, and I kind of just pick up a bow and I'll shoot all the bows. And I'm like, oh, okay, these ones, you know, I can't group with very well and there's nothing on them. So if I put stuff on them, I'm not going to, I'm not going to group probably any better. So if I can shoot a good group with a bare bow from a shop, then I'm like, okay, I'm going to look at those bows. And then it's going to come down to feel and everything else after that. But at first, it's just a group I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. And then, boom, pick up a bow from there. It doesn't matter if I, if one year I'm shooting Matthews, the next year I'm shooting Elite, or I go to Bowtech. Like, if I like the bow and it shoots well for me, then that's probably going to be the bow. More than likely, that's the bow I'm going to shoot because I want to shoot comfortable and accurate before anything else. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. 100%. Well, uh, we went down this rabbit hole and, uh, I absolutely love archery rabbit hole. Um, but, uh, yeah, what else, I guess, is there anything that you want to leave with the audience here as we wrap things up that, um, I don't know, words of advice or any, anything you want to leave with the audience? And then of course, where can they find you at? Yeah. So I would say if anybody's out there and they're looking into getting into photography and yes, it's a saturated market. I would just say, don't be nervous to go out there and just start shooting with your own style and, and then be prepared to have constructive criticism or find a few photographers that you like their content already and ask them, say, Hey, you know, what gear do you recommend starting out with? Cause you don't need the best of the best to start out with. That's, I mean, I started out with the Canon ADD $800 setup. Um, but just find something that works best for you there start it out and then just ask people for information and progress from there. If you get caught up on trying to just be the best at the best right away, I feel like, and then you don't take the, the uh, criticism because you're so, my photos are perfect. Like you're, you're going to just dig yourself a hole in it and it's not going to work out. If you want to see progression, I'd say ask a lot of people, don't be afraid to ask for help and uh, just, just do it. Like go out there and just start taking photos. Maybe you come up with a new style that one day you see somebody else starting to copy and it's like, oh, wow, this guy's taking a bow and getting rid of the archer and it's full draw in midair. And everybody's like, how is he doing that? Like, just do you and see what sticks. That's what I would say. Mm -hmm. Same with Perfect. archery. Just like the bows, you know, just do you. If it does good and it sticks, just run with it. Perfect. I love it. And uh, where can they find you at, Josh? Uh, you guys can find me on Instagram. Uh, my Instagram name is H-U-B-B-Z. 14 and that's only spot i'm at right now perfect awesome guys i'll leave the link down below for you to be able to go check out 
uh, Josh's photography. He's got some awesome skills, guys. He knows what he's doing. Uh, that's why I brought him on here because uh, he caught my eye and then we started chatting. He's a cool dude and wanted to wanted to pick his brain a little bit. So that being said, guys, uh, thanks again so much for tuning in here. And like I always say, get out of your life and love it. Awesome, guys. Thank you so much for tuning into this conversation. Really hope you got something out of this and just enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed having the conversation with Joshua. He's just an outstanding dude, loves to create good quality content, loves hunting, loves the outdoors, loves fitness, and loves this country more than I think you can even realize. He's just an outstanding individual. So I'm going to leave the links down below to where you can find his content. Give him a shout, support him over on his social media channels. And guys, if you got something out of the show, I really appreciate it if you would share it, if you would subscribe or follow wherever it is that you're listening or watching to this. If you're not subscribed on the YouTube channel, go subscribe. We're growing over there as well, thanks to you guys. And leave even just a one-word review. I'd really appreciate it. Thank you so much, guys. And of course, your two invites to the groups First Form Outdoors and Day One Crew over on Facebook. I would love to see you over there. If you don't have a Facebook, shoot me an email. I'd love to get you in on the weekly calls so that you can grow your inner circle of people that genuinely want to see you grow, want to support you, want you to have a happier, healthier, more successful life and achieve your goals, whatever those goals may be. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. I really appreciate you. Have an amazing weekend. And of course, get out, live your life, and love it.